0: Starting the recorder and Starting the recorder over here. I forgot how to do that There is a button that tells me to record (laughs) Where is that button? Shalom, Leah. Welcome. It's glad to have you here looking for the record button. Boy, I found it so fast last week. Record. Ha ha. Thank you, Hashem. Welcome to class number two of Master Plan. There we go. Find the camera. I want to start off with a very, very deep source called the Kute Torah. It is a collection of Hasidic uh, writings, and I was reminded of this class as I was looking at the insight from last week, Parsha Terumah, and this is what it says. It brings up Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, that says, If you, or if only you, were as my brother, that nurtures from the breast of my mother, then... When I should find you outside, I would kiss you, and none would scorn me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, that you might teach me. I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. Now, without oral Torah, this sounds very, very interesting. But here's where Lakutai Torah takes it. It talks Specifically about this pomegranate, is what I want to key on because we've been doing this kind of um, to the least of these kind of segments on Master Plan. Because I talked about how you know, not everyone is a Torah scholar, not everyone uh, prays for hours and hours and hours a day, not anyone can, or some people don't have that much of an attention span, you know, and that's no fault of their own. Uh, mostly sometimes we can condition ourselves into that, but on a general level, not talking about, you know, things that we've been conditioned in and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, just going on the level of there are certain bins and certain gifts that we all have. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, you know, the body kind of thing. So those things aren't meant to excuse observance you know so i hope that it's not coming across don't worry about studying the parashah don't worry about praying but just to give encouragement that especially when you're starting out in Judaism especially if you just kind of feel just hard pressed uh on a day-to-day basis that there's so much grace in Judaism and and that should be totally understood and I want to make sure that we know that so that we know our foundation because we can spring up from there and go as high as we want, you know? So, with that being said, the juice of my pomegranate, it says, there are those whom, unfortunately, and again, this is Lakute Torah from last week's Torah portion, Pasha Teruma. It says, there are those For whom, unfortunately, it is not possible to study any Torah at all. Such people who are sincere and good Jews, despite this handicap, also delight God. So despite this handicap, they also delight God by their mitzvah observance. Again, go back to class one where I talked about what is the depth if you really take an in-depth analysis of different mitzvot that we do day in and day out and some of them we take for granted and it's like we need to stop and realize what is actually transpiring when we're doing that so here it is it says for it goes without saying that although unlearned they perform all the mitzvot they know to the best of their ability these people are compared to pomegranates fruits Literally filled with seeds, since every single Jew, no matter what their background, is simply overflowing with mitzvot like a pomegranate with seeds, as stated in the Talmud Eruvin 19a. This is also a reason why the robe of the high priest worn while ministering in or ministering to God as an advocate. Of the Jewish people. See Shemot 28. 33-35. This uh, robe was hemmed about. With ornamental pomegranates. So we talk about. Like where the pomegranates are located. They're at the hem. Of the garments. Of the Kohen Haggadol. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood. Where does she reach? To the hem of Yeshua's garment. You know. It's. Totally amazing to me that no matter how high or how low you feel in Torah, you are connected and attached to the highest of Israel, which is the Kohen Hagadol, a.k.a. Mashiach Yeshua, also known as the King of Israel. Because we know we have a king, a priest, and a prophet. That's Mashiach. So, with that being said, I just wanted to really encourage us that no matter where you land in the makeup of the body of Israel, you're attached to the great high priest. And I just think that is so cool, and I just realized I'm mentioning Taruma as last week's Torah portion, when it's actually this week's Torah portion. So I apologize. I have began to study Parshat Tzave, so that's why I feel like uh, this is a week ago. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Back to the preface of Master Plan. Okay, so... Last week, we got into what is Judaism, what is holiness. It was really, really awesome to come across that. So tonight, let's continue with the relevance of Judaism over the millennia. And we're going to start with page XIII, which Roman numerals, I hope, is 13. Roman numerals are not my strong point. So if y'all are in the chat, y'all can feel free to help me out. Okay, but at the bottom of the page, it talks about relevance over the millennia. It says, this book is based on the predicate that the Torah, although promulgated thousands of years ago, is still relevant at the present today. True, it comes to us dressed in the garb of the second millennium BCE, its Cases often involve cows and donkeys, plowshares, and millstones. It assumes that the existence of customs and conventions belonging to that far away world. So, on the surface, we look at the Torah. It's like, what in the world does donkey in a ditch have to do with how I live now? What is tithing my grain, my wine, and my oil have to do with now? I am not a farmer. I live in the city. Some of us may be farmers. Baruch Hashem. Awesome. But what about those of us who don't have farms? Who don't grow grain, wine, or oil? Like we we go buy those things from the store. Well, the Torah is still relevant, even though we have these conditions. It goes on to say, But if one can bring oneself to look beyond the outward garb and see the reality within, the Torah is seen to be As relevant now as it was then. Its principles and prescriptions translated into the language and concepts of today can be applied successfully to contemporary human societies and contemporary human problems. This is the importance of being in community. This is the importance of listening to the sages. This is the importance of having a rabbi or a teacher. Uh, of some sort that you can ask questions to because if you're having trouble because obviously we have, we all have the Holy Spirit, Bezrat Hashem we can ask Hashem, reveal to us through your Holy Spirit what I'm not seeing, right? But you can also have physical people present that you can go to to also have questions and and help with applying how these things work in our life. So That's the first thing, is that realizing what we are entering into is ancient paths. We're rebuilding uh, walls that have been breached. You know, for 2,000 years, there's been this religion that has swept the world, that has moved people away from Judaism. And it's like, when you really begin to look at what the Mashiach has shown us, he has shown us Torah. And we have to go beyond what we see on the surface in order to really engage and make those deep connections so that we can bring those things to life. And each one of us have a specific Torah that we bring forth. It is said that the Arizal tells us that there are 600,000 Torahs given to Israel. We learn that the Midrash Shabbat tells us that there are 70 faces of Torah. And the is always like, yeah, that's right, there's 70 faces, but there's also 600,000. And 600,000 just happens to be the number of root souls in Judaism, in Israel. So, with that being said, there's obviously way more than 600,000 Jews that have ever existed. So that means there are certain roots that we all share that only we can bring out, specifically to manifest that full scope. In other words, no one person can really embody the Torah in such a way that it encompasses the whole thing. If that is the case, then that is who we're talking about, known as Yeshua HaMashiach. Okay, the King of Israel. The King of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel, is the Encompasser of the whole entire nation. This is why when we read in the commentaries how Moshe is the equivalent, Moshe, is equivalent to... All of Israel. So, if that's the case with Moshe, how much more so with Yeshua Mashiach? But with all that being said, those of us who are Kohanim, those of us who are Leviim, those of us who are Israelites, that means that we have particular facets of this whole entire nation that's going to go forth and shine forth so when we talk about what is our portion in Torah Hashem may you grant us our share in your Torah grant us our portion the word is chelek, portion that which particularly belongs to us that comes out as we go beyond the surface of this ancient garb this uh this what seems to be outdated word Torah and it's like yeah we're gonna we're gonna bring it Thousands of years forward, millennia forward, into where we are now. So, going forward, we have some underlines here on this page. I'm on page XIV, which is page 14 in the preface. It says, Torah is less concerned with outer trappings of life, with the abiding questions of human-to-human relations, and human-divine relations on both the conscious and subconscious level. So, it's not about the outward, per se, as much as it is about the inner, what's underneath all of that. So, the next part here, it says, And above all, it is concerned with the subtle connecting links between... These human and divine, conscious and subconscious. It is a culture, a civilization, which, while it gave birth directly or indirectly to all liberal ideas which have been molded or which have molded the modern world, it is also capable of pointing beyond them to something higher and more sublime. So, there's a lot you could really say on that because when we talk about liberalism, that can get very, very touchy-feely. So we're not really going to go there, but a lot of the liberal ideas were actually rooted from things that we find in the Torah. And so where those things have gone askew is obviously where it's diverted from Torah because... You know, there's a little bit of truth everywhere, but it's like, you have to bring it all back to the root. And most times, uh, a lot of times, really, in politics, it doesn't ever really come back to the root. So, that's why we're here in Master Plan, to understand that there's a deeper connection to a lot of the ideals and a lot of the models that are out there in the world today. So, what I wrote out in the margin is, go past the outer layer. So if you have a Humash, if you have a Tanakh, if you have any of the other Jewish literature that gives great commentary on the Torah, this is why those are so crucial and so important. Because they help bring to life and bring into the modern mind you know what's actually lying underneath the very surface of the Torah. We call the Torah water, right? So... How many of us know that on top of the water, there's not really a lot of things that are exciting? Unless you have a yacht or unless you're looking at mountains. But take the Great Barrier Reef. You can't see that unless you dive down underneath the water. Same thing with Torah. There's a lot of things you won't see until you dive down beneath those waters. This is why there are certain commandments that we have to follow. There's why there are certain things that we do ceremonially or certain things that we do just in general. And it's just like, why do we do that? Well, it's actually to pull you down underneath the water to immerse you in Hashem. Because we know that the Torah, according to the Zohar, says that the Torah is the name of Hashem. So really, when you're immersing in Torah, you're immersing in the name of Hashem. And this is where you find beauty. This is where you find amazing and wondrous things in the Torah, as King David wrote in the Psalms. A couple more highlights here on this page. I want you to drop down to the paragraph that says, To imagine that some people from that world could out of their own mind string together some stories and devise some laws and principles, which would retain their significance through millennia and speak so directly and cogently to us here today, is simply incredible. We are therefore right not to believe this, but to hold firmly to our faith that the Torah derives its power and significance from a higher source, i.e. God. So in other words... We just talked about how this seems so far away from us. But yet, understanding all the connections that we just talked about, how amazingly accurate and how applicable it actually is to us, it's just like, this cannot be man-made. This cannot come from the mind of a man. And so, I just love that paragraph because it made me think about a few things. It made me think about uh, Yochanan chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 49. So let's go there real quick. It says this, For I did not speak on my own, but my Father himself, who sent me, has commanded me what to say and speak. Let's go ahead to verse 50. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting, i.e. eternal life. So wait, there have been people who've asked Yeshua HaMashiach, what must I do to gain eternal life? What does he say? What does the Torah say? What are the commandments? What are the mitzvot? Yeshua himself echoes it here, right? He says, the commandment is everlasting life. And not only that, everything that we find in the Torah is not spoken of just because it's like, okay, we're going to do this. But because the Father himself has commanded it, what to say and what to speak. This book right here called Handbook of Jewish Thought. I don't know if it'll focus well, but if you want to screenshot this, this is from Aryeh Kaplan. There's a section in here, I'm not going to turn to it, but it's on the Torah, and it says that Hashem dictated the Torah to Moshe letter by letter. Now, let us sink in for a second because how many letters is there said to be in the Torah? 600,000. See, you mean to tell me Moshe followed 600,000 commands, which is Yeshua speaking in John chapter 12 where he says, I don't speak on my own, but whatever the Father says and does, that's what I speak and that's what I do. We're talking 600,000 times, like, say la for a second. Now, apparently there are not actually 600,000 letters in Torah, but when you start thinking about the letters that are missing, start thinking about the spaces, start thinking about uh, the different vowel points that we read and the vowel points that we don't read. That is also taken into account with the number of letters in the Torah, which happened off of every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Father as he was dictating to Moshe the Torah. Also, just a little extra treat from there. It says that when we see those breaks in the Torah, where there's the different spaces, or it drops down a line and starts, those are pauses where Moshe was reflecting on what Hashem just spoke. It's also when Moshe had questions to ask Hashem. So, when we really talk about the Torah, and it's seeming to be not applicable It's like, well, the only reason it's not applicable is because we have not gone beneath the surface. So we're going to encapsulate that there, put a pen in it. That's that section. So now, scheme of the mitzvot. I don't really want to go through this whole section, but I just want to break down the fact that when you go to page XV, page 15, it talks about the orders of the Oral Torah. Because the Oral Torah has its source in the Written Torah. Which kind of probably seems backwards, right? But guess what? You cannot have the Oral Torah if you don't have the Written Torah. Because read the Oral Torah for just a half second. And it's going to reference something from the Written Torah. And the Written Torah is the source of all comments that come out in the Oral Torah. So... Real quick, I'm going to read this paragraph, and hopefully this will kind of go into the notes that I want to just kind of uh, summarize. The paragraph that starts with, during the course of history. It says, during the course of history, attempts have been made to classify the mitzvot in various ways. The Mishnah, okay, the Mishnah, the first half of the Talmud, says, the authoritative recension of the oral law by Rabbi Yehuda the prince, also known as Hanasi. Nasi means like the prince of the tribe. We'll learn about them in Bamibar coming up uh, in a little bit. Uh, It says uh, by Rabbi Yehuda the prince in the 2nd century CE. So, about a hundred or so years after Yeshua, we have the first round of bringing together the oral Torah, categorizing it, making it in a a catalog way of us to go through it, which means some of the drops that Yeshua gave, they're probably in there. And for those of us who've gotten to study Torah for a little bit, we found some of those. So Baruch Hashem goes on to say. The mitzvot in their entirety are grouped into six classes, or orders. So you mean to tell me six, which is the number of man, six, the sixth day that the Torah was given, Yom Hashishi, we say, prep day. That is the oral Torah. We talk about the six directions of all creation, and how, you know, there are the six remembrances that we have every day, the six constant mitzvot we have every day, all those different things. But that is the Oral Torah. So there, there was a saying, at least I learned back in Edom, back in church, that the Bible is called basic instructions before leaving earth. Well, guess what? When is the day of the week that we prepare before we leave Earth, so to speak? Prep day because we go into the Shabbat, which is outside of time and space, even though we're in time and space. But think about the things that we do on Shabbat versus what we do during the week. It's a completely different thing, right? So our prep day is the basic instructions before leaving our mundane. That, my friends, is the Oral Torah. The Oral Torah is a literal prep. It's to prep us for the world to come. It's to prep us for the return of Mashiach. It's to prep us for the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. It's to prep us for the final Geula. May it be so speedily in our days. Come on right now. So, six orders. So that's the significance of six. You start looking at the meaning of six and it's just like, oh, that's the Oral Torah. Okay. And it says, these six orders have 60 subdivisions, or tractates. Now, check this out. What is 60? 60 is the letter Samach. It's a circle. It's a complete circle. So you mean to tell me that not only is the oral Torah like a prep, but it's a circle to encompass the person, vav, man, woman, right? Uh, upright person walking around. So within that, it's like a supersuit, or it's like a big bubble. It's going to bubble you with 60 tractates, 60 psalmic. right? the letter, the number, the gematria. Psalmic means support. So we talk about having a crutch. We talk about having a help, a paraclete is what they used to say back in Edom. That's the oral Torah, Man, Dom taught a lot of good stuff. They just got to keep keep bringing it in. Bergeshem. Now, it says they are arranged according to subject matter. So, what I wrote off in the margins here, you have six orders, okay, for the Old Torah. That breaks down into uh, 60 subdivisions. And then, this was in the 2nd century. So then, from there, it go, it goes down and it talks about how there were more and more rearrangements of it. So let me see here. Okay, a thousand years later. Here we go. Next paragraph. It says, thousand years later, Maimonides, A.K.A. the Rambam, made a more detailed classification of the entire oral law into fourteen main groups. He's like, I see your six. I bring it up to fourteen. <laughs> And then it says, a couple of centuries after Maimonides, Rabbi Yaakov Ben Asher, known as the Tur. Okay, you'll see a lot of the Tur reference, I think in the Shulchan Aruch. And it says, he confined his presentation to the mitzvot, which apply at present day, i.e. excluding the laws of temple service and related topics, because we can't really do those. He reduced the main groupings to four. So it's just like all right, fourteen was kind of a lot. Let's bring it down to four. This has also happened with the mid vote, right? Six hundred and thirteen. We're taking down to like eleven. Taking down to seven. Taking down to three. Taking down to two. Taking down to one. So the oral tour has gone through the same thing. It's it's really beautiful to think about. So that's the tour. He brought it down to four, Uh, and then it goes on to say. Let's go down to the next paragraph. Because Horeb. Remember the book Horeb I told you about by Rabbi Shemshon Hirsch? Which is like the big brother to Master Plan. It says, in this present work we, we, we follow, in principle, if not in detail, the innovative classification. So another classification after the tour. It says, of Rabbi Shemshon, which is Samson Raphael Hirsch. In his Horeb, where the mitzvot are grouped according to function. So now we're going to focus on how do we function. And that's how we're going to categorize it. So we had six main orders, which was 60 tractates. That got regrouped into 14 categories, brought down into four. And now Rabbi Hirsch was like, let's just make this by function. So this comes in handy when you think about, okay, what am I trying to accomplish right now? This is why it's beautiful to be able to go to Horeb because it's like, okay, so I'm trying to do this. And it's like, well, turn in Horeb where it talks about how to do that. For instance, um, let's go ahead with Purim. So Purim is coming up. What do I do with Purim? It's like, well, look in Horeb, look for Purim, and then go to the section on Purim and then just read. And with that being said, all the Purim is right there. There are other parts that mention Purim and things like that, but the, the gist of what you need is going to be right there. So you're not going to have to scan the whole book and find it. Same thing with this master plan. You can go to your appendix or index and look up Purim like I'm going to do right now. Check this out. You can do the same thing in Horeb so i'm looking in p section okay purim is 216 and 218. you mean to tell me there's only two pages in this big old book that talks about purim right so 216 218 let's just read a little little insert real quick here we go 216 again what, uh, what Master Plan does so beautifully is it breaks down the source of the oral Torah that we're about to learn. So, where in the written Torah do we learn about Purim? Well, Purim is connected to Hanukkah. That's why they're in the same chapter. So, we learn Purim from Esther 9.28. And then it has the verse there. We learn Hanukkah from Devarim, Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 8. So, that's your actual orator references. Go over to page 217, and there's our section on Purim. Okay, not going to read it just because of time, but for getting ready for Purim, it'd be great to read this section. Uh, Start from 216 and go all the way to 218. There's a beautiful chart on page 219 that talks about the physical versus the spiritual Yom tovim that we have. Because everything we do in Judaism is so spiritual, but it's also very, very physical. Alright, back to the preface. So that was our scheme, our schematics, if you will, of the Oral Torah. All right, again, I talked about this last week, but I just want to go over it again. Uh, Page 16, XVI in the preface. It has the different groups that are here in master plan. So, group one, justice towards other people, laws which form the basis of social legislation. Right out of the gate, the focus of our observance, the focus of our Judaism is social legislation. If we can't be good people to each other, we're wasting our time, pretty much. You know, there's nothing that's like... It, I mean, I'm not even going to go into it, but it's just its bad when you're just like, man, you know, that person is so observant, but they're such a horrible, rotten person. It's like, okay, that should not be the case. So... I always say this thing where if if something's not working out, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua, and start from there. This is why everything that Yeshua taught us was about how to be good people. Focus on your heart before God. The mitzvot are going to follow after that. And listen, when you focus on your heart before God, your mitzvot become even more beautiful. Like, instead of focusing on how well I can do this mitzvah, how in-depth is it, how much halakha can I get into, it's like, how about your heart before God? You know, and Yeshua was like, if you have a beautiful heart that loves God, and the only way you can actually love God is by loving people, did you know that? That's what Yeshua taught us. So, when you begin to be in that mode, and from there, when you do a mitzvah, it's like the most fragrant aroma to Hashem. Because it's just like, this person cares about people that I created. So therefore, when they do mitzvot that I have commanded, I know that they love me. This is the meaning of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, social justice starting off. Then group two switches topics. It's like, well, let's think about the environment. What about the space that you physically inhabit? How well are you treating your personal possessions? I wish I knew the chapter in here, but there's a whole section about uh, the gifts that God gave us. And one of them is our personal possessions. And if we are destructive to our personal possessions, we would practically be... Proclaiming and declaring that we are, um, we're like atheists. Basically, we're, we're idolaters. We don't believe in Hashem. And here it is. Thank you, Hashem. It's page 51. Check this out. It says, the urge to destroy. Why do our sages say that one who destroys his property In his rage, it's like an idol worshiper. Because, they say, this is the way of passion. Today it says, do this. Tomorrow it says, do that. Until he becomes its slave. You know, Shaul HaShliak, Paul the Apostle, he writes, we are no longer slaves to sin. Well, guess what the process of getting out of slavery is? The exodus you got to go through the process of removing those, those yokes and those bars away from you. Which means drawing closer to Hashem every day. And that's what the mitzvot do. They help you get out of slavery. So that, that way, when you want to do this, Torah is like, well, is that something we should be doing? And if it is, this is how you do it. It doesn't tell you, no, don't do everything. It just goes, okay, so you have you got some passion in this area. Here's how you use it. And this is the beauty of Hashem, that He he doesn't just lock us down and go, alright, you're going to be so holy, you're going to be holy rollers and you're not going to be any fun, you're just going to be sticks. That's it. You're know, you going to be a house of sticks. Uh, Pun for our Magin Yashenu Mishpachah. House of sticks. Anyway, Hashem is like, no, channel that, use that. We have a Yetsahara inside of us. And at as, as least for me, I've always grown up thinking, oh, yeah, that evil, that's got to go. I got to kill my flesh. Hashem is like, no, don't kill it. Put it on the altar. <laughs> but when you put yourself on the altar, because, you know, it's our flesh, right? We are to embody the Akeda, Yitzhak. Yitzhak was placed on the altar and he was resurrected off of it. This is why it says the power of the resurrection has been exerted within our bodies by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Because we are called to bring ourselves to the altar and then Hashem is going to resurrect that up. And that's what happens every single time you work out your Yeshua, literally, your salvation with fear and trembling as you do the mitzvot. As you grow in your observance, as you study the parasha, as you study the halakha, as you study in prayer, you know, and things like that, you are actually bringing forth the power of the resurrection into you. And it's like flowing out. And so you're taking your yetzahara and you're conditioning it and you're using it in the way Hashem wants us to use it. And it brings this huge amount of power. It's like this passion, it's fire that's added to your altar. So... Page 51 still. It says, Then on, it is an easy path to even idolatry. So, if we get used to following our passions, it's so quickly to take us right into our idolatry. It says, But in fact, Slika, he is already serving the most powerful idol in his inward self. Anger, pride, and above all, his own ego, which regards itself as master of all things. So if you have an urge to destroy your personal property and your personal possessions, you're considered to be a person who worships idols because you're following after your own passion, your own rage, and you're disregarding the gift that Hashem has given to you to uh, bring into the world. Here's that passage about the gift. It's actually section 3 on page 51. It says, the miser who denies himself and others and benefits of his possessions is also a destroyer. What he keeps buried and unused in his coffers or numbered bank account is destroyed for all mankind. The vice of avarice regards things as if possession was their whole purpose. While God has told us that everything is there for use, for wholesome human ends. Wholesome human ends. It says, In the holy language of the Torah, there is no word for having. Now, Leah has been on this beautiful kick about finding words that don't really exist when you get into the Torah. So here's another one. There is no word for having. You can't say, I have. That's ridiculous. This blows my mind. (laughs) It says, For mere possession. There is no word for that. It says. The expression we translate by I have. Appears there as yesh li. Which literally says. It is there for me. It is there for me. Not for my selfish advantage. But also. Or but so that I can convert it. Into as many mitzvah fulfillments as possible. Why do you have your possessions? Why do you have different things in in your realm of management? It's because you're supposed to use them for as many mitzvot as possible. So therefore, we don't actually have anything. We have things that need to be used for mitzvot. So... I was hoping that it would bring up the three gifts that Hashem gave us, but we'll have to say that for another time. But our personal possessions is one of them. So back to page 16. Coming into the home stretch here. It says that we go into group three. Again, we're in the preface. It says group three is about love and concern for the people. So remember how I told you the groups? Do like this one, three, two, four, and then five circles all of them. Well, we talked about just justice in general towards people. And again, this is Jew and non Jew alike, which is so awesome. But then group three, it's like, well, not only do you need to be nice to people, but here's how to um, nurture and grow love and concern for other people. And it says these mitzvot. Fostering Enhanced That's a nice word. Enhanced awareness of the needs of other people. We have a Magin Shenu prayer thread. And goodness gracious, my heart has been just pulled and like, I'm, I'm feeling such a connection to people as I begin to pray for them. As I begin to imagine myself in those shoes. Group 3 does a lot of that in this book. It's like, don't just be concerned about people. See yourself as that person. And then think about what you would want, what you would need, you know, and things like that. So you kind of begin to uh, develop this this em, uh, this empathy, but you also get this in with people and it really helps uh, bring out the fervency of your prayer. And it also connects you to that person themselves so that you're you're able to just be more uh in touch with them so to speak. So that's group 3. Then group 4 enriching enriching the environment. So don't just be passive in the environment. What are you going to do to affect your environment? Not infect, but affect <laughs> your environment. Right? And then it goes on to say um These mitzvot, which fill our environment with God-oriented activities. One of those is what we do with the lulav, which I just think is just so amazing. It's like, oh, we're just waving palm branches. It's like, no, you're bringing a deep effect to creation just by waving the lulav. So just things like that. And group five, the inner life. Mitzvot addressed to our heart our mind expressing an intimate relationship with God. So group 5 again, I want to I want to make sure I stress, it encompasses the previous four groups. So as your as you are engaged with other people and the environment, how about what's going on inside? We learn about the the ark this week that it's gold inside, then a layer of acacia wood. And then it's gold outside. And this is teaching us that this is the kind of people that we need to be. We need to have gold inside. And we also need to have gold outside. So this is how you can actually see the groups being an ark. So looking at Master Plan, is like looking at the ark. And then when you look at the ark, it's supposed to be a reflection of who we are. So, Bezorah Shem. Those things will uh, really help and impact us. Um, There's a beautiful section on who was Rabbi Samson Hirsch. That's really, really incredible. But uh, if I could touch on one more thing before we index our time tonight. I want to just do some puddle jumps here. So let's go to page 19. There's this thing called Kabbalah. Now, along with Kabbalah, at least in the mid-centuries, there's a a whole mystical interpretation known as Gilgul, a.k.a. Reincarnation. Well, I want to bring this up because there are a lot of Rabbis who teach on Reincarnation, Gilgul, and there's a lot of beautiful insights on that, and it's all connected with Kabbalah and all that beautiful stuff. But here's what y'all need to know. That that is not halachically something that everyone is called to study, that everyone is called to have a viewpoint on. That is a strain of thought in Judaism. So you're allowed to go there if you need to. Don't get crazy. I would not encourage people to go into that unless you're feeling like you're really ready. But just know, because there's been like, oh, that's not a legit teaching. We don't do that. And It's like, well, that's actually a strain of thought. Which brings me to my point of Kabbalah. Is that a lot of people want to study the Zohar. Study Sefer Yedzira. Study uh, Apples from the Orchard. Well, those books are cool. They're good. They're super deep. Uh, There's a lot of not literal things that go on in those sources. But here's where Master Plan leaves it. And this is what I want to leave it with us. It says, We have followed Ralph Hirsch in omitting references to... Kabbalistic interpretations. In fact, however, will be found that the symbolic explanations given of certain mitzvot often have their counterpart in the Zohar and other mystical works. We mentioned the Lulav. The Lulav is a very Kabbalistic thing. (laughs) But it's like... There's a lot of stuff with the mitzvot that we do that are very Kabbalistic. but. We leave it there. We don't really try to go into it and try to teach it uh, mainstream. Like everybody's got to learn the Kabbalistic meaning of shaking the lulav. It's like no. Shake the lulav, rejoice before Hashem, follow the mitzvah, boom. Baruch Hashem. So then it goes on to say, This too is not surprising when remembered that Kabbalah itself is essentially an exploration. Exploration like the Dora, the explorer, right? I'm just looking for stuff. This is an exploration of the internal world of the unconscious mind and especially of the non ego layers of the human psyche. So I call that Kaboomala because it's like this very, like mystical it's like not to be taken literal but it's like here's some of the inner workings it's like taking open uh opening up a watch and looking at all the gears and springs in there how many of you know if you don't know what you're doing your watch is broke if you open it me i open a watch it's just like it throw it out just throw it away we're done (laughs) kabbalah same way be careful (laughs) All right, let's go ahead to da, 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 da. Torah and Derek. Uh, let's go to page XXII, page 22. Fitting that we'll end on page 22. There's 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Come on! Okay, in Horeb, it's the last paragraph at the bottom of 22 in the preface. Hirsch included a considerable amount of Halakhic detail. In the present volume, Master Plan, this has been drastically curtailed. So, as you're reading Master Plan, just know this is the like summary or cliff notes of a lot of Halakhic detail that's brought down in Horeb. Okay? This is another reason why I recommended this book is because this... Like, I forgot to mention this, on my front little end cover, I wrote a quote. It says, teach according to the ability to learn. In a nutshell, if you want to study Halakha, you don't have to go out and get the Shulchan. You don't have to go out and get the Talmud. You don't have to go out and get the Mishnah Mishneh Torah from Rambam. You don't have to go out and get the Mishnah. You can get things like Master Plan. You can get things like Horeb. You can get things like the Handbook of Jewish Thought. Here's another one to put in your grill. Jewish Encyclopedia of Jewish Values. Books like these bring those halakhic details into a focus that it's easily able to be engaged so that you don't have to feel like I'm combing through pages and pages of paragraphs and very mechanical talk. So, that's important because Master Plan and Horup do a great job of like, let's get into the, the works of the Halakha, but without being too overwhelmed. So, this is a very cool path to engaging into deeper Halakha. On top of that, it says, In this present value, it's drastically curtailed. Hertz, Hirsch's youthful readers had little knowledge of Hebrew. Hmm, so I know I have a little knowledge of Hebrew, so this is great. It says, and at the time there was little or no halakhic material in German. Talk about being assimilated in the culture. A lot of us cannot read Hebrew, and it's just like, can we get some halakhic stuff translated in English, please? And it's like, sure, I'll give you a couple of volumes of the Shulkan. It's like, that's the kitzer. <laughs> the rest of it, you got to read Hebrew. It's like, okay. Anyway, it says apart from this or apart from its other important functions, Horeb was in fact used for a long time also as a textbook of Halakha. I'm gonna jump down and says we have therefore concentrated on the main aim, which is the presentation of Torah as a coherent and meaningful scheme. The bibliography lists books available in English which treat the topics referred to at greater length. A little bit down at the end of this section it says, It is hoped that this will illuminate the real-life application of principle behind the mitzvot, i.e. Torah Be-Derech, Torah in the Way. Everything about what we do has a real-life application. And it's all behind the mitzvot. So we have here a concise, kind of bring it in a little bit, uh, study of halakha. This is what master plan is. So as we learn throughout this book, this is to help us safely engage and go in a a very uh, level-headed, I would say, direction of increasing our observance and uh, being more orthodox if that's the goal you know things like that so uh, that is the conclusion of tonight's class Um, I'm going to go ahead and go through the chat so if you need to leave feel free to do so and I'm gonna just make sure we didn't have any questions or anything like that before we head out Please pray for Menashe tonight. Really not doing well. Went on to bed. We lift up our Zekin Menashe. Father, we pray that you will grant him rest. We pray that you will grant him refuel shlema b'shem Yeshua. May you fill him with your ruach kodesh Adonai. May you bring healing to his bones, Adonai. Uplift his spirit by your Yeshua. Father, we pray that you will just give him supernatural rest. Bring him refreshment. May he arise to life and to shalom. Healing all over his body. Alright. What if 600,000 for each level of 70 souls? Okay. That is... That's ridiculous. Because, you know, the the cool thing is, you know, we think about 600,000 people, right? So, if 600,000 people is really double or even triple, quadruple that because, again, we all talk about the roots that we all share. So, each of those people have the 70 levels. So, now you have 7,600,000 going on. And, vice versa, on the 70 levels, each level has 600,000 levels going on. Okay, my brain's broken, but... uh, that that's something to think about to go along with this. <laughs> Can you please post pictures of each of these books on live stream chat? Uh, you mean Signal? I think maybe. Yes. No, I don't know. Rukashem will. Do- okay. Cool. Yes. Post pictures of each of these books. I will do it with the help of Hashem. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, I know it was kind of heavy on the material and we kind of swerved all over the place, but hopefully we understand. In conclusion, Torah is applicable to today even though it has an old face. Uh, I was a youth and I have aged. Never have I seen the children of the righteous begging for bread, Rebbe Hashem, And Lala Tov to everyone. Stay warm, may Hashem continue to provide and do amazing and wonderful things for all of us and bring healing to the world Ultimately, with the coming of Mashiach speedily and soon in our days. Lalatov.